0: This is the Christian Fellowship Guild podcast show. Today is Monday, February 10th, 2020. My name is Alec. Welcome to the show. Uh, Today's, uh, the title of today's devotional is The Most Important Thing. And it's from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, which say, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and To love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, "You are not far from the kingdom of God." And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What is the mo- most important thing? This is a very good question to ask ourselves when we're beginning a new week. Often we make priority lists so we don't neglect the important things. But what are the th- those? What are those things? What is the most important thing? If we haven't identified what's important, we may be neglecting it. One day a scribe asked Jesus what was the most important thing in life, the most important commandment to obey. And Jesus gave a clear and profoundly simple answer. Jesus said the most important thing was to love God and love others. Jesus loved God and loved others flawlessly. He is our perfect example. Loving God and loving others is exactly what Jesus wants us to do. That is the most important thing. We don't need any further explanation. Instead, we need to act. And when we do, our love will show that we know we're doing what God has commanded of his followers. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for showing me the most important thing. Forgive me for being occupied with lesser distractions. Loving you and loving others, this is what's important. Everything else is a distant second. May your grace and power and love flow through me. In Jesus' name, amen. We have some commentary from Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. Says, those who sincerely desire to be taught their duty, Christ will guide in their judgment and teach his way. He tells the scribe that the great commandment, which indeed includes all, is that of loving God with all our hearts. Wherever this is the ruling principle in the soul, there is a disposition to every other duty. Loving God with all our heart will engage us to everything by which he will be pleased. The sacrifices only represented the atonements for men's transgressions of the moral law. They were of no power they were of no power except as they expressed repentance and faith in the promised Savior. And as they led to moral obedience, and because we have not thus loved God and man but the very reverse, therefore we are condemned sinners. We need repentance and we need mercy. Christ approved what the scribe said and encouraged him. He stood fair for further advance. For this knowledge of the laws leads to conviction of sin, to repentance, to discovery of our need of mercy, and understanding the way of justification by Christ. The couple's devotional for today is titled "A Discerning Heart." It's First uh, Kings chapter three, verses five through fifteen, which say, "At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said." ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on the, his throne this day. And now, Lord, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. An English theologian tells the story of a young man who went to college. When he had been there a year, his father asked him, What do you know? Do you know more than when you went? Oh yes, he replied, I do. Then he went the second year and was asked the same question. Do you know more than when you went? Oh no, he replied, I know a great deal less. Well, said the father, you're making progress. <laughs> then he went to the third year and was asked, what do you know now? Na- what do you know now? Oh, he replied, I don't think I know anything. That's right, said the father, you have now learned to profit since you say you know nothing. He who is convinced that he knows nothing of himself, as he ought to know, gives up steering his ship and lets God put his hand on on the rudder. He lays aside his own wisdom and cries out, O God, my little wisdom is cast at your feet. My little judgment is given to you. Solomon must have been similar to this young college student, for he too knew the wisdom of being humble when it came to leading the people he had inherited from his father, King David, in his dream from today's passage. God asked Solomon, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon, in all of his youth, about twenty years old, declared with great wisdom, Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. What a great declaration to know that by his own power he wasn't qualified to lead and to govern his people. He also wanted to know right from wrong. Mom and Dad, you hear the simple humility of such a great man of God? If he didn't feel confident in that task, is it any wonder that sometimes we are dismayed at trying to lead our children properly? If Solomon could so humbly face God and ask him such a simple request, why should we feel at a loss when we too feel helpless? As parents, we need to put, be up front when it comes to asking for discernment from God. Notice also that Solomon started his request with a statement about himself. So give your servant. We need to approach God as a servant. One who realizes that, not, that only through the power and guidance from God can he do anything. We aren't capable under our own strength. Throughout this complete passage in First Kings, we, we see that Solomon recognized 1. Who God was. 2. Who Solomon was. and 3. His own responsibility to God. These are the same three recognitions that we must make. Who God is. Who we are. What our responsibilities are to God. We have a very big God. He is bigger than anything in our past, anything in the future, and bigger than any box. Yes, we serve a very big God. Also, note in First Kings chapter three, verses ten through fifteen, the blessings that Solomon received, though he did not ask for them—riches, honor, and long life. As long as we are in God's will, He will give us far more than we asked for in our prayers. Oh, to have that kind of faith! As a people, as a couple. Can we believe that God loves us so much that he will more than meet our every provision? Let's pray. Father God, may we as a couple approach your throne with us being your servants. As a family, we want to serve you in our marriage, family, church, community, and work. When our egos get involved, remind us that we are truly your servants and want to do your will, not ours. Both of us pray for your discerning hearts and to know the right from wrong. Thank you for this new dimension you have shared with us today. And in Jesus' name, Amen. And we have some action points here. First one is discuss with your mate how how you each can have more of a servant's heart. Two, is there any discernment that either mom or dad has regarding his or her marriage or their children? Three, express verbally to each other what today's lesson meant to you. And for those who do the further reading, uh, we have. Uh first Chronicles chapter twenty nine verse one. And David the king said to the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and experienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not the palace will not be far for man but for the Lord. Again that's first Chronicles chapter twenty nine, verse one, and uh second one is Ephesians chapter six verse eighteen Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end, to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. Again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And now we have the question of the day. Uh, It's from gutquestions.org. And today's question is, what does the Bible say about dinosaurs? And their answer is this. The topic of dinosaurs in the Bible is part of a larger ongoing debate within the Christian community over the age of the earth. The proper interpretation of Genesis and how to interpret the physical evidences we find all around us. Those who believe in an older age for the earth tend to agree that the Bible does not mention dinosaurs because according to their paradigm, dinosaurs died out millions of years before the first man ever walked the earth. The men who wrote, wrote the Bible could not have seen living dinosaurs. Those who believe in a younger age for the earth tend to agree that the Bible does mention dinosaurs, though it never actually uses the word dinosaur. Instead, it uses the Hebrew word, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, tannin, which is translated a few few different ways in our English Bibles. Sometimes it's sea monster, sometimes it's serpent. It is most commonly translated dragon. The tannin appeared to have been some sort of giant reptile. These creatures are mentioned nearly 30 times in the Old Testament and were found both on land and in the water. In addition to mentioning these giant reptiles, the Bible describes a couple of creatures in such a way that some scholars believe the writers may have been describing dinosaurs. The Behemoth is said to be the mightiest of all God's creatures, a giant whose tail is likened to a cedar tree, Job chapter 40 verse 15. Some scholars have tried to identify the behemoth as either an elephant or a hippopotamus. Others point out that the elephants and hippopotamuses-wouldn't it be hippopotami-have very thin tails, nothing comparable to a cedar tree. Dinosaurs, like the Brachiosaurus and Diplodocus, on the other hand, had huge tails which could easily be compared to a cedar tree. Nearly every ancient civilization has some sort of art depicting giant reptilian creatures. Petroglyphs, artifacts, and even little clay figurines found in North America resemble modern depictions of dinosaurs. Rock carvings in South America depict men riding diplodocus-like creatures, and amazingly bear the familiar images of triceratops-like, pterodactyl-like, and tyrannosaurus rex-like creatures. Roman mosaics, Mayan pottery, and Babylonian city walls all testify to man's transcultural, geographically unbounded fascination with these creatures. Sober accounts, like those of Marco Polo's Il Milione, mingle with fantastic tales of treasure hoarding beasts, in addition to the substantial amount of anthropic and historical evidences for the coexistence of dinosaurs and man. There are physical evidences, like the fossilized footprints of humans and dinosaurs found together at places in North America and West Central Asia. So, are there dinosaurs in the Bible? The matter is far, far from settled depends on how you interpret the available evidences and how you view the world around you. If the Bible is interpreted, in, interpreted literally, as Young Earth interpretation will result in the idea that dinosaurs and man coexisted can be accepted. If dinosaurs and human beings coexisted, what happened to the dinosaurs? While the Bible does not discuss the issue, dinosaurs likely died out sometime after the flood due to a combination of dramatic environmental shifts. And the fact that they were relentlessly hunted to extinction by man. So I hope you guys are enjoying the show. Uh, This is my second week. First day of the second week. Um, I've gotten a little bit more views. A little bit more input from uh, people that I know personally. Um, I'm going to keep going with it. As long as I get something out of it. Or somebody else gets something out of it. Uh, I'll keep doing it. So I'll... See you guys in the next show. I hope you have a great day.